You're listening to Nursing Review Radio. I'm health editor Dallas Bastian, and I'm joined by Australian Healthcare and Hospitals Association Chief Executive Alison Verhoeven to discuss the 2017 federal budget. Thank you for joining me, Alison. Thanks for having me, Dallas. Overall, how did health fare in this budget compared to, to previous budgets? I guess one thing we could say is that it's better news than the budget that we saw in 2014. So this really does overturn uh, some of the very harsh uh, measures that we saw applied in Peter Dutton's budget uh, in the first year of the coalition government. Um, But what we're seeing here, I guess, is a, a bit of a new vision for health. And the health minister has clearly invested some time and effort into um, describing an overarching strategy for health, which includes what he describes as four pillars uh, and also then three waves of reform. The disappointing thing for us is that those four pillars haven't included some really key items, primary care, aged care, Indigenous health and better health outcomes. So that's a lost opportunity. And also we're very concerned that um, hospitals, primary care, prevention and Indigenous health are in the last wave of priorities. What we have seen the Minister do this time around though is form a compact with five professional groups, the AMA, the College of General Practitioners, Pharmacy Guild, Medicines Australia and the Generic and Biosimilar Medicines Association. And frankly, what we think is that he's handed the keys over to health policy to the doctors and industry groups. That may or may not be a good thing. It's really going to be up to those groups and the minister now to ensure that that trust and the funds that are being directed towards that their interests are going to be well invested for a healthy Australia. Those who have been concerned about the future of Medicare have been sort of chalked up as one of the biggest winners in the budget as the Medicare rebate freeze will be lifted. What would you like to see the future of Medicare hold and how can we get there? Well, I think there's a few issues around Medicare. First of all, uh, the lifting of the freeze is a very progressive lift. So what we'll see in the first year really is only an impact on concession cardholders and children, um, and then a progressive lift um, next year, in the next financial year uh, for broader general practice, and in the subsequent years uh, for specialist consultations and specialist procedures. So with specialist procedures, for example, that's actually four years out from now. So it's quite a way away. Uh, what we'd really need to see is that doctors and particularly specialists who, for whom uh, out-of-pocket costs are a particular issue for many consumers, um, we hope that doctors and the specialists will play their side of the bargain and commit to bulk billing for the many services that they currently um, provide with out-of-pocket costs. Look, the other thing that we'd like to see is a focus from the doctors on sharing data into a national primary uh, care data set so that we can actually start tracking health outcomes and ensuring that the money being invested into primary care is invested actually for health outcomes, not for outputs. Uh, And that's a risk around this, that um, by shoring up Medicare, lifting the freeze, um, there is a risk that it will actually just drive volume and it won't drive value. So we do need to see something happen in that space. The other area that I guess um, we're concerned about also is the Medicare Guarantee Fund. Uh, That's being touted as uh, some sort of compact with the Australian public that taxes collected via an increased Medicare levy will go to health. 
In fact, it's just uh, an exercise in our view in compartmentalising health funding, which could actually lead to some jeopardy in the long term, where governments in the future might say, look, there's not enough money in the Medicare Guarantee Fund to provide this or that type of service, so therefore we won't do it. Um, so just there's an, there's an area of risk around that sort of hypothecated taxation. What were some of the, the blocks of funding that AHHA was, was happy to see in the budget? Well, there's some really good things happening um, as well. So we were pleased that uh, proton beam therapy, for example, was supported. The first investment in that, which uh, will go to South Australian Health and Medical Research Institute, that's um, destined to create a world-leading facility uh, in providing proton beam therapy, something very critical uh, for a lot of childhood cancers and for some adult uh, head and neck and spine cancers. Important uh, work because up till now people have had to go overseas to receive that uh, form of treatment. We're also very pleased that that was um, that the model where they're they're actually funding that was part of a collaborative model across a couple of states and territories. So a really strong approach, and we're pleased that that's been done. In mental health, um, we're very pleased that the Commonwealth has uh, agreed that. There is a gap um, for people who are currently in the Partners in Recovery program as they transition to uh, that program to the National Disability Insurance Scheme. So under the under the arrangements up until now, we've seen what we've seen is that some people in the Partners in Recovery program wouldn't be eligible for the NDIS, uh, and therefore they were losing those community psychosocial services. With an $80 million investment from the Commonwealth, contingent on match commitments from the states and territories, there will be an opportunity to address that significant mental health need. Um, we're also pleased around the investment um, in mental health services for veterans. Uh, that's a good move. And, um, you know, it's, it's an area that obviously is of concern to all of us. Um, we're encouraged that uh, the Commonwealth is going to to move to support doctors and patients to choose generic medications over more expensive brand name drugs. But we think um, what must go alongside that is a firm commitment that those savings should go back into the PBS. So a number of good things in the strategy, but we would like to um, see obviously some of the areas of weakness addressed as well. One of those areas uh, was that there wasn't a, a greater focus on preventive health in the budget, given the Prime Minister's announcement back in February that it would be a focus for the government. What action were you hoping to see the government take in this in this budget? Look, that's actually been quite a disappointment. Both the Prime Minister and the Health Minister have talked about their interest in preventive health. And as you said, uh, the Prime Minister specifically announced uh, that interest in a speech at the National Press Club earlier this year. Uh, what we're seeing, though, is really an investment in sports and exercise programs, some investment around immunisation, all of which are commendable, but which actually don't go far enough. What we really should be looking at is a broad strategy uh, to reduce illness, to prevent disease and promote wellness. And we don't see that kind of thinking coming through in the measures uh, that were announced last night. What would AHHA like to see in, in the next budget or in future budgets, uh, particularly surrounding primary care and, and public hospital funding? 
Yes, so public hospital funding, and there was a, um, an amount nominated on paper in, in last night's budget to extend uh, the growth funding for public hospitals uh, through to uh, 20, through, through until 2020, 2021, um, and that's an additional $2 billion. That, that's just a, a paper exercise around the forward estimates. Um, what we really need to see is, um, as flagged last year at the COAG meetings in April, uh, a, a body of work done around strategy for post-2020 hospital funding out through to 2030, where we looked at um, uh, an agreed method of indexation for growth, agreed between the states and territories and the Commonwealth. That's part of an overall strategy to shift from volume to value-based care. And that needs to leverage the work uh, that's being done in primary care around healthcare homes, the work that the primary health networks are doing and the like. Um, needs to happen sooner rather than later. We note Minister Hunt has that in the third wave of reforms, but really it should have been brought forward. It's, it's, it's a critical issue and it can't wait till the end of this government's term.